0: certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at Lucent Perth.
1: Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon.
2: And every time you saw a young girl walking by you think oh god is she going to be the next victim?
1: Now one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years.
0: Today, Justice Hall quizzed the details of the defence's alibi theory for the night Kira disappeared, with the trial expected to finish as early as tomorrow. Welcome to day 94 of Claremont in Conversation with Alison, Natalie and Tim. So we've heard a dozen or so witnesses testify to seeing a woman matching Kira's description on Sterling Highway the night she went missing. But today, Mr Jovich questioned whether they all saw the same person. Tim, what was his reasoning there?
1: Well, he pointed to um, various discrepancies uh, in the accounts, Nat. Um, the descriptions of the car, the descriptions of the the woman that was seen um, walking, and the, the the position of that person that, that um, some of the witnesses had seen. So, yeah, look, he was he, he I mean, he was doing his due diligence, I suppose, going through witness by witness and he did go through witness by witness and recounted their um, their evidence uh, reading from the transcript and ultimately his point was that you, uh, Justice Hall on his, on, on his argument couldn't be sure that all of those witnesses saw the same person or the same car and ultimately they couldn't be sure or he couldn't be sure that what was being generally described by the prosecution as Kira leaning into this car on Sterling Highway, and then ultimately disappearing. Um, Paul Jovich said ultimately, from those varying witness descriptions, that conclusion could not be um, solidly and you know beyond a reasonable doubtedly drawn.
0: And Ali, he also questioned whether the witness recollections would have maybe been influenced by the missing appeals that they'd seen on television. Um, I counted probably around 14 witnesses,
2: both those walking down outside the hotel and the motorists and those coming home from various functions that were driving along Stirling Highway, and it was such a massive variety of descriptions. I mean, they got her clothing right, they got her appearance right, but as for the vehicles, we went from a Ford ute with a canopy and a tailgate being lifted up Mm. down to a, a Commodore sedan to a a Commodore station wagon. But what um, Paul Jovich pointed out was that not one of these witnesses mentioned any sort of Telstra logos, markings on the car, and he said this was at a time when when Justice Hall questioned, oh, well, maybe they were looking at other things. He said, well, this was a time when Telstra changed its branding from Telecom to Telstra, and it had quite a large, good-sized logo right over the bonnet, of the front and on both passenger doors, and not one mentioned any markings of any kind. Even though they described vehicles of every every kind, they described the uh, white, light coloured car. But it was, I think, he was pointing out the how unreliable eyewitnesses can be when they all see something completely different. And the two most credible were ones who actually had to pull out and drive slowly around this white car that was parked in the in the in the actual driving lane. Um, just past the intersection of Bayview Terrace and Stirling Highway they actually had to pull around it and this was a couple who'd come back from a movie night uh, so others were saying they were They'd probably been drinking quite a bit, but they were the ones that also gave quite a different description of the driver. So he he was very
0: um, strong in pointing those points out. Tim, did Justice Hall have anything to say about the fact that the witnesses uh, hadn't necessarily seen a Telstra logo? Did he did he question the importance of that?
1: Yeah, he did, Nat, and quite rightly as well. But he did point out that you know, as much as you want to take every witness account into account some, you you get the impression um, immediately, are are better or stronger accounts than others. And Justice Hall um, pointed to, as the prosecution has and as we have, um, the the account of the the three young gents in the bus stop um, eating their burgers, the so-called burger boys, and said, well, you know, they were stationary, so they weren't moving. Yes, they'd been drinking, but they all um, were looking at the same thing from Basically the same vantage point um, and their accounts or at least two of the accounts that we heard were pretty close um, together um, in in factual terms. But again, what Mr. Jovich just pointed out, as Ali pointed out, was neither of those people, neither of those uh, men noted or registered or placed in any statement a, a Telstra logo on the car, even though. Other details of the car that they um, they relayed were very detailed. The fact that it was, you know, wrap around white bumpers. The fact that there were teardrop cutouts on some of the, on the, um, uh, on the rims on the car. Um, but Mr. Yovich said, "Well, so why then, Your Honour, wouldn't these gents see a Telstra logo?" And Justice Halls come back to that was, "Well, maybe they were just looking at other features on the car. Maybe they were more." focused on the car itself and and it was a relatively new model and one of the burger boys if you remember was actually looking to buy this make and model mm. of car for himself so he was particularly interested in that make a model so justice hall surmised or um opined well maybe he was just looking at the bumpers maybe he was more com- focused on the on the uh, on the teardrop rims rather than um, rather than on the logos themselves.
0: And obviously, there were so many of these witnesses who, you know, said they'd seen a woman matching Kira's description. Did Mr. Jovich make anything of the fact that uh, there's not an actual eyewitness account of a woman getting into a car?
2: He went quite. Um, I think probably the Burger Boys were the ones who actually saw. I guess it was Kira Glennon leaning over and talking to um, somebody in the van. And what Paul Jovich pointed out quite strongly there was this so-called propensity uh, that the prosecution is very keen to include in reasons why Bradley Edwards um, was the killer and not only the rapist, was that this was not his modus operandi. He didn't sort of gently drive along and pick up someone and talk to them about getting into his car, that he'd only shown previously that he'd snatched and abducted someone off the streets and was... covertly doing these things. This car was just driving along. And I I think that was the point where it was probably the most credible one with the burger boys because they actually saw her walking across and then the next time they looked up, they weren't paying all that much attention except they did call out and say to her uh, because they said she had her arm out like she was hitchhiking, how stupid it was to be hitchhiking in an area, as was one of the other comments, was when he saw someone getting into this ute. He said, well, what's gone into this area? Why are they doing that? But that... That particular one could be, as you say, someone picking up their their daughter, as many of the parents did in that at that time. A different um, different car, different daughter, different person. But I think the Burger Boys one was the probably the most uh, reliable. Uh, Credible is that they saw her, and then they saw her leaning in, and then um, off at drive, they didn't, they were really paying attention to eating and nothing more.
0: Yeah. Well, Mr. Yovich then turned to Bradley Edwards' whereabouts on the night of Kira's disappearance. Tim, can you talk us through this portion because it was again very detailed but very interesting in that Justice Hall uh, interrupted here several times?
1: Yeah. So this was Mr. Yovich, a little bit like he did. With with Sarah, sort of floating mm-hmm. a potential alibi, but not really nailing his colours to the mast, and providing uh, uh, what he said would be a rock solid alibi, and, and this is for the night that, that Kira went missing. So his argument was, um, we'd have to do a, we'll have to do a little bit of a recap here. A Little timeline Edwards, would be good. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Edwards um, was at that time in a relationship with an older woman that he'd met after his first wife had left him they'd been um seeing each other f- since about december 1996 um it was a it was a semi-serious relationship um and was had continued for the months um, into the new year in 1997 the couple of they they'd gone down to um the margaret river which is a beautiful wine region south of perth in the february and this uh, girlfriend at the time who did give evidence in the trial get in that evidence said it was after that trip in around about the February that they relate. She felt their relationship had changed. It had fizzled out. And then she crucially said that her recollection was that the, the, the relationship had officially ended in early April, 1997, when Mr. Edwards had come to her one night and said, I, I, I don't want to see you anymore. I've met someone else. And gave her name to the girlfriend, the name of the new person that she'd met. So this is in the April. Now, we know that Kira went missing, obviously, middle of March. What Mr. Jovich attempted to argue today was that potentially the night that Kira went missing was the night of that breakup. And the girlfriend um, at the time had got her dates wrong. And he, he, and he, he, he tried to uh, sort of, well, I'll say shoehorn in some some dates and and and, and backtrack it by saying, well, look, she said it was about a month, and it was it would have, it had been about a month since they'd come back from Margaret River, um, and, and so that sort of fit that timeline, but Justice Hall immediately jumped on this and said, hold on, what did you say? Because not only had she, uh, the girl, uh, the Mr. Edwards, former girlfriend, had been very solid on the dates because it was close to her own daughter's birthday. She'd also then given the name—that's
2: right, yeah—in evidence
1: ah, yeah. of the person that Mr. Edwards said he had met. Mm. And so Justice Hall said, "Well, so if this is right, not only is Mr. Edwards um, given uh, told a lie about why he's breaking up with her, i.e." that he hasn't met someone, he's also given her a name of someone who then eventually ends up to be the right name because that's the person that he ended up meeting. Right. And so we were all scratching our heads. I think Justice Hall was scratching our heads. And look, if I'm if I'm being kind, I, I don't think it was Mr Yovich's strongest point of argument over the last five days that he's been doing his closings.
0: Did he, did he manage to back himself in in any way?
1: I don't know. What would you say, Ali? I'd say, I'd say no. I'd just say the Wait. name.
0: The name was
2: strikingly the same, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: look, I, I would. Uh, what I would say is, he stuck to his guns, and when yeah. he summed up his whole um, uh, line of argument today, he maintained that it was a reasonably. Um, you know, it was a reasonable argument to make that Master 14th might have been, or could have been, the night when Mr. Edwards um, split up with his with his girlfriend, meaning that he wouldn't have been out driving around in Claremont, um, mm. uh, picking up lone girls.
2: Well, of course, the prosecution has always said that these um, these disappearances and murders of these girls coincided with traumatic um, emotional breakups and incidents in Bradley Ebbard's life, but none of these breakups seem to be all that devastating or traumatic to either party. Yeah. When you listen to both sides, it would all sort of seem very amicable.
0: Amicable, that's right. If you'd like a recap on that portion of the evidence, that's actually way back in episode four, which is ex-wives and ex-lives. Um, Mr Yovich said he also, you know, that it didn't make sense logistically in terms of the distances Mr Edwards would have had to have travelled?
1: Well, yeah, so he, again, much like he did... The um, Sarah ones, sort yeah. Mm. Out, ...outlighting Sarah, he, mm. he he, turned to logic or, or um, what he would say would be an, an illogical series of um, thought processes um, for why Mr Edwards would have chosen that night to go out and for what would have happened after... Um, uh, uh, he's allegedly picked up Kira. The lack of logic in the night would be that he had somewhere to be the following day, as he did with Sarah. We knew, we know with Sarah, the argument was, well, he knew he had to be at work the following day. In this circumstance, Mr. Yovich said, well, he he knew he had to be at a friend's house in Dawesville the following day because he'd been, or that night and the following day, because he'd been invited there by, by, by Murray and Brigitte Cook. Mm. So that was one piece of logic. And then he said, well, look, let's say that he has picked up Kira and, and, and killed her. Why would he choose to drive fifty, almost 50 kilometres north of Perth to dump the body when he knew that he would have been driving south anyway because Dawesville, which was where he was supposed to be that night, um, to to be with the cooks, to go and visit the cooks, and spend the night with the cooks, um, was south of Perth. So why would he have chosen that spot of all to 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 dump the body, where it would basically add a hundred kilometres and you know at least a couple of hours? You would have thought to his journey, when um, he'd already allegedly dumped one body south of the river, um, and if he was going to do that and head down to Dawsville, why wouldn't he have done that again? So that, that that's the logic argument. But as I've recapped before, Carmel Barbagallo, in her closing, said, we're not talking about logical events here. We're talking about a man who's going snatching women um, for a sexual purpose, murdering them and dumping them. So, And Justice Hall also pulled
2: him up too about the distance. said maybe he was just distancing himself from as far away as he could from yeah, from the murders. Well, yeah. That in yeah, fact
0: it w- was he making the point that it was mm. potentially a calculated decision to do that? Yeah, to distance himself
2: yeah. as far as possible away from yeah. wherever the bodies were.
0: So how did Mr Yovich sum up his arguments in the case against with Kira?
1: Well, much like Ms Barbagallo has been asking Justice Hall to put not, not take one piece of evidence as the you know, the absolute killer piece, but to layer them all on top of each other. So Mr. Jovic made a similar argument when he was addressing all, all the points that he made about Kira. Mm. And he said that, look, you might not think one of these pieces of, um, of you know, what we say are you know, discrepancies would cause you to have a reasonable doubt. But he said, if you put them all together, then we say there sh- should be enough there to create a reasonable doubt. And it is the prosecution's job to counter those doubts. And their argument was that in Kira's case, um, they would say the prosecution hasn't done that. And so um, Mr. Edwards should be acquitted.
0: And Mr. Jovich then finished the day by asking for an early adjournment. Do you know what that was about? Well, only because he
2: has finished with the Kira Glennon right. issue and he will now move on to the fibre evidence that very, very complex fibre evidence which he has promised us he'll only take tomorrow to tackle. <laughs> and Do you believe
1: him? <laughs> believe
2: him? <laughs> well, it depends too how often um, Justice Hall uh, comes in with a, que- with a very long question. It goes on to a legal <laughs> argument that comes backwards and forwards. So... Um, we don't know but he has said that he'll sum up the fiber tomorrow and then has just a few more points to to bring home and we should be finished by tomorrow at the yeah. latest i hope friday morning <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah mr jovic had asked yeah. I, this might seem a backwards way of doing it, but he'd actually asked for more time out of court so he could mm. pare down the time they would spend in court. Um, so I think he was doing, I get the impression he's been doing some pruning or some and some paring down maybe of his arguments around the fibres because, I, you know, oh. if, if he let himself, I'm sure he could probably go for another five days talking about them. No one wants to do that. So I think he was um, asking for the indulgence of the court just to be given a little more time um, in front of the laptop. Maybe or in front of the, uh, in front of his uh, his MacBook to um, to you know just just to really concentrate his thoughts on the fibers, so that it, um, it actually court time would um, would be better spent. Um, you know, really getting to the really getting to the nub of those of those points.
2: be interesting uh, to see if the the evidence that took longer than anything else, the fibre evidence, can be <laughs> narrowed down to a few hours tomorrow. Yeah, that's,
0: that's your wishful that's thinking. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, right. What was it like in the courtroom today? I mean, can you sense the stresses and the pressure as we get closer to the finish?
1: <sighs> oh, Look, well, I, get, yeah. I get the impression everyone's just very weary. Yeah. And, um, the families uh, are
2: still oh, right. there and they're hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. they are. Mm. They
1: are, but but I think everyone. It's like you can see, when you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's not quite within within reach. I think everyone is sort of anticipating and knowing that, that we are very very close to the end now. Yeah, um, and you know, some sometimes they they're the you know the hardest um, steps to walk, aren't they? The ones that really w- will get you over the line. I know for a fact that Miss Barbara Gallo is is weary as as you would expect as a be. She, she admitted as much to us last week um she's obviously spent the the last few days um listening and um and and pondering on what mr yovis has said um and even justice hall was asking for a sort of just a gentle signpost as whether whether we'll be finishing this week or not yesterday so yeah look i think i think everyone is just um just looking forward to uh to the to crashing through that finish line now.
0: You've
2: also got an extraordinary large number of detectives. Yes. And police are taken out of their normal day-to-day jobs oh, nice. sitting there. That's and they've been there since last November. Senior detectives we're talking about here.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, everyone will wonderful. definitely... I hope they'll get some leave now and not just be pushed straight onto the next case.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Well, thank you both. We're almost at the end of week 24 and possibly very close to the end of this historic trial. We hope you can join us for what could possibly be the final day. That's tomorrow, day 95 of Claremont Conversation. Until then. This podcast is
2: hosted
1: by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan, and recorded in the studios of 7West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's Talkback Radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.